transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Hey, hello, and welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack here with Manny. How you doing, man? Not too good, man. Not too good at all. It's been it's been a tough 24 hours, man. It's been a tough 24 hours. I wasn't the thing about about Nigeria is I didn't have much hope at the beginning, and then the hope started building, started building, and then got to into the final, and I was thinking Ivory Coast have just just about scrape through to get to the final. As long as we are consistent with how we've been playing, our defence has been our biggest attribute. And then, complete disaster, man. Like, the emotions is... And I'm going to Nigeria next month, and the trip was going to be amazing, and now I'm just, ah, oh, it's oh, not great, man. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I'm sorry for your for your loss. My only loss was some sleep. <laughs> because of the super the Super Bowl going to overtime turned into a great game in the end last night um after a very poor start which is sort of common with the Super Bowl you, it's kind of cagey opening especially in the first half mm-hmm. but it turned into a great a great game and a, yet another victory for Taylor Swift as if she needed another <laughs> she and her man Travis Kelsey celebrating on the field after cameras all around them just mm-hmm. as the uh, NFL script writers had envisioned when this all started out. Yeah, I, I haven't actually caught up. I've, I've seen some of Usher's performance. I think uh, for most fans over here uh, in the UK, we look forward to probably the halftime performance more than the actual game. Uh, I think a lot of people will be lying if they say they know much about American football and the players and the intricacies and all of that. But um, yeah, man, the spectacle is always something that, that we look forward to over here. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought Usher's performance bringing out Ludacris, uh, Alicia Keys, that that was quite sweet, man. Yeah, Harry Kane seems to know his his American football, but other than that, there's nobody. Usher <laughs> was incredible. As somebody who was raised on going to you know school dances when you're 13 mm-hmm. and they're playing, yeah, okay. Um, and the Lil Lil John was also essential to my upbringing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> when you're when you're first. When you're at the first school dance and all the guys that are standing on one side of the room, all the girls are on the other. <laughs> like maybe there's one interaction in the first hour and a half. Uh, but yeah, it was a great performance and uh, a lot of fun. But yeah, it cut into my my Sunday night's sleep as <laughs> as it does. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people want it to be a national holiday here the the Monday after yeah. the Super Bowl, which I would be on board with. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Like it, it literally takes over the whole country. So you think it, it would be beneficial, man? Yeah. I mean, it was tempting to do. I was going to do a, a sort of troll video about how, you know, the Super Bowl might be big, but it's so much smaller than the World Cup. But it, it actually is kind of crazy how many, how much more, how many more people around the world are watching the World Cup. But yeah, the Super Bowl is every year and it consistently puts up numbers in terms of viewership. So. Hard to dispute that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, as you got at, there was a, a final uh, mm-hmm. yesterday that was far more important to you. Yeah. Uh, the Africa Cup of Nations reached a, its thrilling conclusion after 
a pretty amazing tournament yeah. where you never knew it was going to happen. Equatorial Guinea is is playing people off the park. Mm-hmm. Then some many of the you know traditional powers really struggled. Although mm-hmm. Nigeria sort of did okay from the beginning. Uh, but what were your your feelings coming into this, considering you know as you mentioned, Ivory Coast they fired their coach uh in the at the end of the group stage thinking that they were cooked Mm -hmm. then they somehow get into the knockouts because they're one of the better third place teams Mm -hmm. and suddenly they have a caretaker coach who leads them all the way to the final uh on home soil did you fear that element the home soil or were you kind of quietly confident that nigeria were the superior team no i think that was my biggest worry was on paper we should have won that game uh, I thought we had the better quality players. Uh, our performance and our form thought the tournament was better and it'd be more consistent. Um, I just, that home soil, that 12th man, you know, on a one-off game, I always knew that it would be very difficult. Uh, and the only way to really combat that was to get an early goal. And that's what we did, you know. We we went in our half-time, winding up, looking, you know, not not super comfortable, Um because Ivory Coast still had created a few chances and some some good saves from our keeper, but I I just thought that you know with, with the performance we've had, especially in defence, that we could probably see out the result uh, and potentially nick a, another goal. But you know, second half was a completely different game. Like we was literally on the back foot the whole time. We were sloppy in possession. I thought it would be who you know were getting on the ball and, and being quite influential throughout the tournament was non-existent. Ossiman was just chasing loose balls and 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 constantly battling with the Ivorian centre halves and it, it it didn't look like we had much of a game plan other than to hold on to a one nil and, and survive as long as we did. But with that crowd, it's it's a terrible formula for you to try and win any any football game. Uh, and I think Ivory Coast actually deserved it. Like on on the day, they were the better team. Uh, they were more purposeful in their in their game plan. Um, and it's a great story, to be honest, for for Hala to get the winning goal. You know, coming back from from beating cancer to leading his country to winning, you know, an international tournament. So, you know, there's some silver lining. You know, I love a good story, but I think United uh, United uh, Nigeria's performance. You know, kind of let us down because the rest of the tournament, I think, we've been a lot better. Yeah, I I thought that Nigeria were sort of the class team of uh, the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, you you know, you always look at a Mo Salah in Egypt. Mm. There are some some powerful outfits, but I just think pretty much consistently every couple of years, Nigeria turns up to the tournament with players from all over the biggest clubs mm. in Europe and the world. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I thought Ivory Coast, you know, maybe they were powered by the spirit of Didier Drogba in mm. the stands. He was celebrating like crazy. <laughs> in fairness, so was Kanu when um, yeah. when Nigeria went went ahead, which is a lot of fun. But I thought the wing play uh, from the Ivory Coast Cote d'Ivoire was very impressive, especially Max Gradle, who I you know, I feel like he's been around forever. Forever, uh, yeah. He, I feel like he's he's played a lot of <laughs> Africa Cup of Nations tournaments. Uh, but Simon Adingra, also the the Brighton Quality. wide man, yeah, was you know I rated him uh, before this, but he was I thought he was probably man of the match for me in terms of just the consistent torturing of uh, Nigeria defenders getting beyond them with 
a clever touch around the corner, the the right pace at the right time, mm-hmm. and putting in decent balls. You know, low low balls in where the you know the back line doesn't want them in between mm-hmm. them and the keeper. In some instances, just difficult stuff to deal with. And yeah, I thought that in the end, especially after thirty five or forty minutes, Ivory Coast really started to take the game to Nigeria, and it was not a passive performance from the Nigerians, but it was certainly they certainly played like the away team, yeah. which they were. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't assert yourself on the patterns of play and try and really uh, take a stranglehold of the game and make it your own. Not sure the Nigerians ever did that. No, not not at all. It, it was a very pragmatic, almost Marino esque performance, trying to get that that goal early. Um, and just sit back and almost park the bus. And our defense has been our strongest, our strongest asset, you know, throughout the tournament, which is unsurprising for Nigeria side. You know, we, we've always been blessed with great attacking, creative midfielders and and, and forwards and wingers. Um, and you know, even the wingers that we did have this this tournament, you know, Lookman's had a great great uh you know about 18 months at Atlanta Chikwesi has had made that big move to AC Milan and he's done well um and you know those players at times they they weren't as influential as, as you wanted them to be I think Lookman got a couple of goals this season but Osimhen I don't think Osimhen scored in in the whole tournament you know that that's that's crazy for someone that's probably one of the top three strikers in the world uh, I thought, you know, we sacrificed a lot of our play for us to be solid at the back. Um, and it just, it wasn't enough in, in the final. Yeah, I was uh, I was struck by Osman's sort of lack of contribution. He's always considered, as you say, you know, one of the top three striking prospects across Europe. I just, you know, when I look at him at this point, and you know, I think Arsenal will go for a striker this Summer, I'm just not sure that he's worth the price tag that's going to come with him. I mean, in general, I think I would like Arsenal to go try and discover someone more than, you know, just pay the top dollar unless, mm. you know, unless they could really do it. Um, and then I won't be complaining. I'll just be cheering <laughs> if they get Victor Osman. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was a bit disappointing from him. And yeah, I just I don't think that they had their patterns of play. It was it was too passive. And I do, but I do think that it was a, a great advertisement for African football. This entire tournament, in terms of, I will be the first to admit, you know, when I, on when I was doing uh, the football weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you know, match previews, uh, suggesting what people should watch every Friday. In the beginning of the tournament, I just didn't see that many uh, matchups that I thought would be compelling because I was in the mindset that there are, you know, the traditional powers. Mm-hmm. You know, especially Ghana, Nigeria, the West African nations, Cote d'Ivoire, mm. Egypt, Senegal, and then yeah. sort of a lot. You know, yeah, and it's sort of like Europe, where there are some minnows mm-hmm. uh, who who can get stomped out. But that was not the case. I mean, this was one of the most unpredictable tournaments I've ever seen, and there was a lot of parity, especially you know until the round of sixteen. Maybe after that, the the class of some players and teams started to show through. But I thought it was a great ad for for the game. Yeah, the thing about African Cup of Nations, uh, you know, for, for us, I've been watching it, you know, from from young, from a young age, is there's always been elements of that. You know, you've always seen the big, big stars come and play uh, in AFCON and 
they just don't have the same aura. They don't have the same, you know, influence on games. And they're playing against, you know, farmers. They're playing against carpenters. They're playing against, but in that environment, in that heat, on with the pitches, with the crowds, it's a completely different to European football. Uh, and then, you know, usually the like you said, the Nigerias and and you know Morocco, Senegal, they do usually by the end of the tournament, you know get to the finals or the quarterfinals is usually those teams that that end up winning it but you know the group stages there's always an upset you know that's been consistent and you know a, a lot of the great players that have done great things for you know Inter Milan or for like, Chelsea or United or whatever when they've gone to AFCON they just not look the same like a Mo Salah till now has never won AFCON you know that that's crazy for a player that's got the the amount of goals and assists throughout his career and the amount of trophies he's had now. So it's, it is something that it's opened the eyes to a lot of, um, I guess, Europeans and, and casual fans that, you know, there's a lot of craziness that happens <laughs> in AFCON. But I think one of the most important, you no, know, the most impressive things was officiating as well. I thought that was really good. Yeah. I've heard that almost universally uh, that, uh, you know, especially the Premier League could learn a, a thing or two about how AFCON got their officiating done. I mean, the I thought the watching the Super Bowl last night reminded me of I said this when they they uh, suggested the blue cards. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the report came out that they were considering blue cards, and I what I, my response was: Why don't you get what you're doing right now? And the first thing that you could do is go to the National Football League, mm-hmm. the NFL. And take a class, like sit in a classroom and have them tell you how they do their video replay technology in a way that is not completely disruptive to the game. And you actually get the call right in a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. The last thing we need is you introducing more things for you to fuck up, (laughs) which is, you know, know that's what they're going to do. But it's, you know, it's comforting to know that at least one continent uh, in this fair world of ours is doing a decent job with officiating. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the worst thing is the time that it takes. You know, you know you're know, you seeing even the decision against Nigeria in the South Africa game where we'd gone 2-0 up, it would have been Osimhen's you know, first goal of the tournament that it was right, rightly called off for a previous foul, you know, 30 seconds um, into the build-up of that goal. If that was a Premier League game, that would have been alone a 10, 15-minute decision going back and forth that even would have ended up ended up with the wrong decision, you know. The thing about Vaughn is it's it's still so inconsistent with his decision making, or the way it's officiated anyway, it's still so inconsistent. But you know, it was good to see and gives hope that if you put the right people behind the the technology, it does work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the legacy of African football. Mm-hmm. We thought it was a good time to hit another set piece. In this case, the top four African players in the history of the game. Okay. Uh, difficult category, actually. Very difficult category. Manny, I will defer to you. You go first. Okay. Hopefully, we we don't overlap 100% like we did the last <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm going to go with number five, my fellow countryman, um, Kanu. So I'm giving it to him because he won that great victory for us in 1996, I believe, the Olympics. First Olympics, United, um, I keep on calling Nigeria United. Nigeria, they have won um, for, I think it's their first Olympic win. 
Um, he was part of, of a great era of Nigerian football. But Kanu's career, I thought, um, is, is done amazing, winning Champions League with Ajax, multiple league titles with Ajax, multiple league, title, league titles with Arsenal, FA Cups with Arsenal, and also an FA Cup win with Portsmouth. So I've given him number five. Um, he's the only player in my list that hasn't won AFCON. So the rest have won AFCON. Mm. Um, number four, I've gone with Abedi Pele. Won Champions League with, I believe, Marseille. He has won league titles. He has also won uh, AFCON with Ghana twice, I believe, and been named in player of the tournament um, and won player of the tournament. So I've gone to him for number four. Number three, Yaya Toure. Again, very similar um, career that he's had, winning AFCON 20, 2015, winning Champions League with that amazing uh, Guardiola side of Barca, and then probably one of the best central midfielder the Premier League has seen in such a short space of time as well. Um, so I've given him number three. Number two, Samuel Eto'o. AFCON's number one highest goal scorer and Cameroon's all-time goal scorer. He's won AFCON twice uh, with Cameroon, who have kind of fallen away recently as you know a superpower in in the in the tournament. But during his time, he you know he led that team to you know to two great victories. Um, and I mean, his goal scoring feat across Europe is is incredible. So, and I think one of the few players to have won the Champions League. Uh, you know, with two different sides, so and the trouble with two different sides, and then number one, which I probably assumes everyone's unanimous number one is George Weah, simply because the only African to win Ballon d'Or, that that goes down as a record that it's going to be hard to to ever break. Um, and then what he's done with his life since as well, man. You know, to become, you know, to go into politics and for Liberia, I, I just think it's a great feat. Um, and just shows the caliber of, of, of a person that he is as well and as a man that he is. Uh, and also his career winning multiple titles across different leagues. So that's my top five. And a big absentee probably is, you know, Mo Salah and Didier Drogba. But for me, you can't be an all-time African great if you've never won anything for your country. I mostly agree. And by the way, George Weah, also now his son, is at Juventus and mm -hmm. represents the United States as well because he was born in New York City right around the corner here. Nice. Um, and I, one thing that I, I guess I forgot is that uh, Abedi Pele, uh, his birth name was Ayu and his sons, Jordan and uh, Andre Ayu, are both yeah. very successful professionals as well. Mm -hmm. I've always loved Jordan Ayu, actually, for, for Crystal Palace. Um, I do, I, I, you're going to see some recency bias from me. Okay. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I have George Weah as the number one. Yep. Uh, but I don't think a Betty Pele makes my list. I think Ooh. I have to go. Yeah, here we go. I have to go with Didier Drogba as the number five. Okay. Uh, this is primarily informed by the extreme trauma that he inflicted upon me as an Arsenal fan <laughs> in the late 2000s, mm -hmm. from about 2006 when I became a fan to when he he left Chelsea once, then he came back to torture us again. Uh, one of the most dominant players I've ever seen in the Premier League in terms of 
physicality, but also incredible skill. Like his ability to hit a volley on the turn, just mm. whip around in the box and smash it into the net. Unstoppable force when he was on form in those Chelsea teams, especially because he was often charged with getting the lone goal so that Jose Mourinho could grind out another result. And they, you know, they would concede 12 goals mm-hmm. across the whole season and they would win by these narrow margins. Uh, for number four, I was torn. Mm. I think I'm going to go with Yaya Toure. Okay. Um, I think, you know, as you said, it was a short tenure in the Premier League. But if you go back and look at his 2013-2014 season, it's, again, one of the most dominant displays you'll ever see. It's like yeah. Shaquille O'Neal on the magic or something. Just, <laughs> again, you know, some combination of extreme physicality, not the fastest man who ever lived, but a powerful runner mm. who could not be knocked off the ball and then had phenomenal quality. He's taking free kicks. He's striking balls from 35 yards into the top corner. Either foot. Just a crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He could hit those shots like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or something. Yeah. And he was a good passer, of course. Mm-hmm. And good without the ball. Um, just a real force of nature. Um, next up, you got Mo Salah, who, despite his lack of success at AFCON, I think if he's going to go down as maybe a top five Premier League player of all time, certainly a top 10, mm. um, I think he's in very good standing to make the list. Just a, another really unstoppable player. He's also scored some goals in big games. You think of the Man City one where he beats three or four men. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he is you know one of the scariest people to see on the opposing team sheet. Mm-hmm. He has that Drogba or you know prime Yaya Toure feel, mm-hmm. uh, and the goals and the longevity to to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next, I have of course Samuel Eto, the the man who I sort of learned what it meant to be a lethal striker at the top level Mm. that was right you know i i came in to serious fandom right after uh barcelona defeated arsenal in the champions league final but it was still years after that with barcelona you know combining with obviously he had the best supporting cast you could ever dream of with ronaldinho messi gets into the team Thierry Henry shows up you got xavi and iniesta behind you but he had that killer instinct the kind that we talk about wanting in the Arsenal team right now, and many teams are be- are crying out for. Yeah, he'll get you a toe poke. Mm-hmm. He'll get you a header if he needs to. Both feet can score any which way. Yeah, very smart runs. Um, impossible to mark. I can only assume it must have been. It must be terrible <laughs> when he's darting around like that, ready to combine with people, and then just pops up and needs no backlift, half a second to punish you. Mm. And then George Weah, yeah, has to be the number one. It's, you know, 1995 World Player of the Year, playing on some absolutely dominant AC Milan teams when Serie A was truly at the top of the world. According to uh, Roy Keane and Gary Neville, not long after George Weah was there, people were doping in Serie A. (laughs) That's what they claim anyway. Who knows if this is some uh, bitterness among the Man United boys or whether that's a something they can back up 
Although they, I guess they didn't name a specific club, so mm. maybe they would have excluded AC Milan. But the, the impression I get was they were talking about them Juve. and Juventus back yeah. in those days. Um, but yeah, I think George Way, you know, it speaks it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. But I'm sure you're <laughs> grievously offended by some of my omissions. Yeah, the the, the most solid one. I, I can't I can't get behind it. Uh, Jogba, I get it. I mean. Drogba during one of the AFCON games, you know, he literally stopped a civil war in his country and, and and brought peace to two opposing sides. You know, that that's someone using their influence to the better of his country as well. You know, I just so that one I don't mind too much. I, I just think with the as as great as he is as a player, Mo Salah, he hasn't delivered for his country when he's needed him the most. Um and as great as he's done for Liverpool. You know, there's other African players that have done it, you know, in weaker sides and for multiple teams. You know, I, I just think someone like Carney that's won it um, under Ajax and then gone to Arsenal and, and you know, and, and won the double with Arsenal and then gone to a really weak Portsmouth side and still won a trophy there and been successful there. And I, I just think all of those make them more, give them just that more of a status, you know, internationally anyway. Um, and you know you you can't doubt their ability as well. I mean, Kanu was doing crazy things on the pitch. You know his his ingenuity, his creativity, his skills was it was just it was almost a foil for some of the Arsenal players. You know he he make things out of nothing on the touchline. You know some one of the craziest goals I've seen was you know that goal against you know I can't remember who it was against, but on the byline and he dribbled past a few players and just slotted it slotted it in. So yeah, but. It's understandable. And recency, like you said, I think Salah will go down and he'll probably be in a lot of people's top five. Um, but yeah, I guess the, it's the old age argument that if you don't win it for your country, you, you can't be considered in my eyes as, as a great. Yeah, Kanu, such an inventor on the ball, such a you know tricky dribbler, hmm. seeing things one step ahead. Uh, but we should get to uh, his former team, mm-hmm. Arsenal, and their result this weekend. Yeah. Uh, in which they absolutely dismantled West Ham United. Clinic. Uh, 6-0. For me, the best thing to see was getting early goals from set pieces mm-hmm. so that they have to come out and then you just stick the knife in. Uh, and we've been crying out for Arsenal to be more clinical, mm-hmm. more lethal. And that's exactly what they supplied against, admittedly, quite a poor West Ham side who I think are missing Lucas Pacata in a big way uh, to, to feed the Mohamed Kudises and the and the Jared Bowens of the world. Yeah, the way West Ham set up as well, you can see from David Moyes' thinking was to try and hold out, keep it tight at the back and maybe nick a counterattack through Kudus or through Bowen. But Arsenal gave a complete masterclass of football. And what was impressive was the different types of goals that you scored. And it's it's not often you see Arsenal, you know, dominating, overpowering a side. Gabriel, both centre backs getting, you know, getting on two set pieces and, and getting a goal. And then long range strike from Declan Rice. Then you're seeing brilliant open play, cutting up defenses, you know, and great free balls from Odegaard. And then you're seeing direct, you know, counter-attacking football over the top, running into space for Saka, who then won the penalty and then dispatched it. It was it was complete, like, clinic, 
performance. Like I haven't seen a game like that where a team is just not only play great football, but just literally was like, it was almost men against boys. And you don't hear that often from an Arsenal side. Um, and it was almost, you almost felt sorry for West Ham a little. It was just, they got completely brutalized. Yeah. And I did a little video about this in the week, but, you know, along with the effectiveness from set pieces, uh, the tactical variety that Mikel Arteta is bringing in the second half of the season is going to be so crucial because I think as good as Arsenal were last season, they really played in one way and eventually they were found out and it stopped at mm -hmm. places like the London Stadium where it started to come undone against West Ham. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the fact that you you no longer know how they're going to line up in so many different ways in terms of here, they kind of almost played a double false nine mm -hmm. situation with Havertz and Trossard. They've had the 4-4-2 out of possession, uh, but then dropped into a different shape once they received the ball. People shuttling between the lines from midfield to attack. And even the, at left back, you never know who's going to line up there and whether they're going to invert or not. In this case, Kivior probably did it less than than an Alexander Zinchenko did. Zinchenko, I think, is struggling for fitness yet again. But yeah. um, that kind of variety was great to see because that's going to be crucial as teams, you know, they're going to try to different ways to sit in, different ways to try and disrupt Arsenal. But it's harder to, to game plan for it if you legitimately don't know how Arsenal are going to line up. And then, of course, I can't help but spotlight Declan Rice becoming our premier set piece taker, mm. not what we thought we were paying the hundred million for, but now in addition to being our seal team doing special forces shit all over the midfield, breaking up mm. the other team's play. Now he's uh, a set piece specialist. Who's putting in much better balls than everybody else who was taking them, you know, Martinelli and Trossard. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's whipping them in from, 35 yards or whatever that was. I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's hard to dispute at this point that he was probably the signing of the summer, even at his astonishing price tag. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and just touching on the way Arsenal have such great tactical variety, I think that comes down from recruitment and signing intelligent players that can pop up in different areas of the pitch and still be effective. You know, Trossard, to me, is, is is your new version of Carzola. You know, he can play on the left, he can play in the middle, he can play as a false nine, he's ambidextrous. Um, having, you know, even Havertz being able to drop as, as a false nine or nine and a half and, and sometimes as, as a left-sided eight. Um, Odegaard, we know, has just got that great IQ as well on the ball, off the ball. He knows when to pick up space and when to drive and come deep and collect off the centre-backs and initiate attacks. Uh, I just think all of that fits into the, the way that Arteta wants his Arsenal side to be able to play. Um, and and it's, it's yielding great results. And when you're adding that, that steal and that bite in your team now that's been missing, and then you've also got people on the bench that can come on and give you a different dimension when you bring in Jorginho as well. You know, it was also great to see Elneny come out of the woodworks and, and get, you know, 15, 20 minutes um, and, you know, was a short in, in possession. But Declan Rice, he's he's almost superhuman now. Like, he does everything you need him to do and more. And what you're seeing in this Arsenal side that you may not have seen as much uh, for West Ham or even for England is his great uh, technical ability. I think he's always been known as the, as the workhorse, 
great interceptions, tackling, you know, and decent passing range. But you're now able to see that dead ball specialist, you know, he has a, such a clean strike on him as well. And his timings of his runs are, are great, you know. He, he's someone that I think could play in in a lot of different positions, a lot, lot of different styles as well in the Arsenal midfield. And he's more more than worth every penny that you guys have paid, if not more. Um, and, and a big part of your success this season, I think, is going to go down to him. Um, and, you know, the, in fact, the spine with him, Saliba um, and Raya as well. I think there's a great, there's a great combination between the three of them there where, you know, your centre-backs will split, you know, De- um, Declan Rice will drop into the, that three at the, at the back and White would tuck in inverted. You know, he's picking up the ball from the centre-backs, he's picking up the ball from the goalkeeper and then driving forward. It, it's just, when it works, it looks amazing. Um, I just think the only issue of Arsenal is just having someone clinical in those defining moments in the season that would get them over the line. I do think that at this point they've been gravely underestimated in the title race based on, you know, it was a seven game period, Mm -hmm. but I think they're very much in the discussion. And as I've been saying, I think they have a stronger squad than Liverpool. We we will see how that pans out. Liverpool were back to winning ways. But we should talk about your squad, another, I think, underestimated squad, as much as I like to take my pot (laughs) shots at Eric Ten Hag. Yeah. I did a video this week where, you know, I think that Manchester United are legitimately in the top four race. I think that Spurs could drop six points between now and the end of the season and and United will drop a few too. But I think that they're in the discussion for that top four race after a pretty, you know, not a the most convincing win in terms of controlling the play and all of that and the patterns of play that that Man United still probably need to develop. Mm-hmm. But they won. They got that second goal and snatched the points and ran out. Yeah, and what we're seeing now is just a, a lot more settled United side and you are starting to see some of our players build relationships with each other. So you're seeing that more so with Dallow. You know, he's understanding when to fill in uh, as an inverted fullback you know, when to overlap and give support to Garnacho, um, and and just when to step in and step out and, and and follow his man. And his reading of the game has improved dramatically um, in this side. And you know, Casemiro being that extra foil for Manu to just step forward a little bit. You know, he was involved in the build up for us getting the winner in the end. Um, and Ten Hag, you know, hats off to him for being able to now utilize Scott McTominay. I think the only way we should is being that impact. Um, third man runner to to get a goal for us or to add a bit more um, engine in in the in, in the midfield when when legs start to tire, you know I, I'm glad that players like Ericsson who as good as they are on the ball they just don't have the athleticism to play at the top flight anymore, um, and we're seeing again you know the relationship that Rashford and Luke Shaw have always built the past few years that's always been a, a massive asset for us and Hodgland is playing with confidence you know. It's it's not it's not common that once a striker gets one in, you know, three, four, five usually follows, and you're seeing a lot more belief in our play, um, and some of the players even playing with more freedom. So it, it's looking good, and there's definitely definitely areas for improvement. I do agree with you in terms of patterns of play, in terms of sustaining um, attacks and sustaining pressure um, on teams when we are in the ascendancy. Um, but you know, with 
with Maguire coming into the team again, I, I thought he did well. Um, had another injury, another setback with Luke Shaw and then Lindelof playing left back. But, you know, when, when, when a, a team is playing with, with the right confidence and the right belief, those little setbacks are, are not as, as much of an issue as it was at the beginning of the season. And, you know, we look like capitulating almost every game. Yeah, I do think if you get the goals, you are the deserved winner. Even mm. if Aston Villa had, you know, the possession, they it reminded me of a bit of Arsenal at a stage of the season when, you know, they're playing with their food a little bit in the box. They want an extra touch. They want an extra second that you're just not going to get in the Premier League. Then the shot's blocked. Man United were flying by the seat of their pants at times, <laughs> making some last-ditch tackles. But yeah. sometimes it's, that's what you have to do away from home. And, you know, the Arsenal couldn't do that at Villa Park. Um, so, I, you know, I thought it was uh, an, a, a well-earned result in that that's what you have to do sometimes in the league. But Villa did actually get a goal, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Douglas Louise put it away and proceeds to almost violently shimmy for a few seconds uh, in the direction of, I guess, Andre Onana and Rafael Varane didn't look happy either. Uh, where are the celebration police on this, though? I, you know, I, I saw a couple things on Instagram about this, but it was not a, you know, Arsenal level uh, yeah. outrage about this. Yeah, that was actually a really odd one for me because Louise is not usually a player that is known for tomfoolery or shithousery or any of that so and I don't really know where that came from maybe there'd been some altercation prior in the game maybe like Onana has said some things you know maybe a set a set piece in the corners um but yeah at the end of the day he was always got pie in his face for dancing like that and they ended up being on the losing side um but yeah celebrating sometimes it just takes over you i don't even know what that shimmy was <laughs> brazilians are known to have a lot more rhythm <laughs> than that but i guess yeah he didn't know what else to do and it was it was a very fortunate goal the way you know the deflected cross or shot from from bailey came to him but it was, it was a good finish a uh, good reactive reactive finish from douglas louise so Hey man, I, I don't mind people celebrating as long as it's not the winning goal. So I think it was a lot easier to, to stomach <laughs> than if it was the, you know, the winning goal against us. We have to acknowledge as you know, Unai Emery has gotten so much praise this season, uh, but it does look like Aston Villa are falling away in terms of their form. And I do have some questions about whether they're sort of reverting to the, to the mean here and they may not be good enough to take that fourth spot again i think that tottenham will drop points mm. i just get the feeling that man united are going to leapfrog villa at some point and that maybe the fairy tale will end up in more of a fifth or sixth place maybe even seventh place finish for villa yeah and i think that's that's still a very successful season for them to come sixth or even seventh, um, five points is a lot more manageable for us to to chase down uh, and, and get into into that top five. And then, you know, we've got you know just just Tottenham to to get ahead of. And again, Tottenham can can drop at any minute. Um, but I think United just need to focus on each game as it is, um, and and just focus on being a consistent side. And I think the results will always follow. Uh, we do have the quality in the first 11 and within our squad that we will pick up points along the way and we will undoubtedly lose points as well. Uh, so it's almost a case of less drop less points than the teams around us. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, we should get to uh, the final big game mm-hmm. quickly, which is Bayer Leverkusen hosting Bayern Munich. And this was as comprehensive a defeat as I've seen Bayern Munich take in all my days as, yep. as a football fan, especially as a football fan who's taken some 8-2 aggregate losses to this <laughs> outfit. But Chabi Alonso, I mean, he took them to school. Yeah, he, he absolutely took Thomas Tuchel to school. I thought this was a mismatch mm-hmm. in terms of the, the tactical performance that we saw from Leverkusen and they get their goals when when the chances are there I I mean I asked the question this week is this the third best team in Europe at this point I I think they're certainly in the discussion Mm -hmm. maybe you have Arsenal Arsenal and Liverpool above them I would obviously put Man City and Real Madrid Mm -hmm. but yeah maybe Arsenal and Liverpool are third and fourth uh, based on how difficult it is to get results in the Premier League uh, versus the Bundesliga. But I don't know. I mean, Bayer Leverkusen, they they have not lost a match in 31 matches played, mm-hmm. including in Europe. They're, it's the Europa League, not the Champions League. But they're six wins from six in the Europa League, too. I mean, this is astonishing. And they're not just, you know, there's not as many even, there's not even as many draws as you saw mm-hmm. with the Arsenal Invincibles. I mean, they're winning almost every game. Mm. Yeah, it, it's such an exciting side as well. You know, the, watching the way that they, they play, it's it's always on the front foot. And you're just seeing players really enjoying their football as well. And the celebration of that third goal was great to see, you know, the whole <laughs> bench and all the, all the players lost, lost all composure. And then you had Alonso just still cool, calm and collected on the sideline and, you know, it, it looked like he'd been here for as, as a manager for years, um, but it was complete domination, and that's such a such a shocking thing to see. And it's I don't think I've ever seen Thomas Muller show any negative reaction. I've never seen him riled up before. And that post match interview from him, where he questioned the mentality of the Bayern Munich players, it it was you know it was quite it's quite a shocking a shocking sight and. Um, but you no, know, talking on, on on Leverkusen, they completely outplayed um, Bayern three um, 0 Could have been, it could have been double that. To be honest with you, Frimpong hit the post. Um, there was a, there was a few one on one clear cut chances. Neuer had to make some great saves. It it just it, it did not look like a, the Bayern Munich of old. Saying that in mind, even United, you know, at the beginning of the season when we was all over the place, we still managed to score three goals against them. So there were signs that. This Bayern Munich side might not be as as great, you know, as as we thought they were, you know, at the first half of the season. But I think they can go all the way now, Leverkusen. To be honest with you, if they keep keep their heads down, and it seems like Alonso is not getting too carried away, and you know, if you're being steered by a manager and from top down that everyone's still keeping their keeping their cool and keeping their heads, they they could be a great upset, and it's long deserved. Yeah, and I got to give shouts to Granite Shaka. Hmm. Not exactly an Arsenal legend until his final season with us, but he's gone over there, and obviously he's the anchor of the top of the table midfield. But I th- again, he he took them to school. I mean, mm-hmm. they absolutely dominated the midfield. Leon Goretzka and Co d- could not cope with Granite Shaka and and Byers, uh their structure. Uh, the way that they set up, but also just winning duels, winning battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, I love this this stage for Granite Shaka after what were some difficult years in there, you know, losing the captaincy at Arsenal, throwing the captain's armband away, flicking mm-hmm. off the fans to looking like, you know, he's going to have a, he might just have a medal in his cabinet to take home. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. I, I've always liked him as a player um, and he's playing in a system where he really can thrive. And you're, you're seeing the benefits of, of also having, you know, the right players around him as well. Um, and he's able to just pick up passes and just link. He's a great link player. That That's what I think you guys were missing in, in, in Havertz playing in that position and that role now. Um, but I think it would be a great story just to give him, I think, a well-deserved trophy because I think, you know, his, his ability and maybe just the, the the squad and the quality in the squad that Arsenal had while he was around just wasn't, didn't, didn't benefit him. Um, and I think you could say that by a few Arsenal players, you know, Sanchez, Ozil, you know, if they played in better sides, those players did deserve, you know, uh, a trophy um, or at least a league title. Um, but yeah, he, he's got a lot of young players around him as well. And he's he's looked up to and he's almost, I'm not sure if he's the captain, but he's almost a captain f- figure regardless. And he's really adding that experience to this, to this young side. You know, playing with Wurtz next to him and, and Fringpong, it's it's a great side and it's just it's they've got great balance. I think that's that's the main thing with them. They've got great balance in terms of tenacity, quality, pace, youth, um, and, and tactical balance as well. Well, I got one more question for you before we hop off, mm-hmm. and that is whether Florian Wurtz announced in this match that he is the best attacking midfield prospect coming out of Germany over Jamal Musiala. And is there a new uh, sort of power structure in that department where it's Jude Bellingham and Florian Wirtz and they're a class above the Pedris and the Jamal Musialas of the world? Was this sort of a, a changing of the guard or a rewriting of the, the structures? I'm going to say potentially. And my only, uh, only uh, drawback is going to be what Bellingham, Pedri... And Michelle have is Champions League football and they've got experience in that and and performing at that level. He's doing it in Europa, so I don't want to take anything away from him. But definitely in, in terms of, of the league and consistency, he is the better he is the better player at the moment. Uh, we just like to see what, what he's gonna do, you know, at, at the highest level, which is Champions League football. And I think a big move is on the cards for him. Well, plenty to look forward to. Um but we'll hop out now as the sun is shining directly in my eyes through the window <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I know you've got a big meeting to get to, but uh, thanks for your time this Monday, uh, Manny. And uh, I'll see you next week for another episode of Match Report.